2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. Uh, you can read along or you can listen uh, while you walk back to your seats. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all and those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died. For them he was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5. And good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, any Netflix bingers in here? Amazon Prime bingers? I think, I think we're more of a Netflix church than Amazon Prime church at this point. Um, yeah, over Christmas, I started watching this show. Has anybody uh, heard of The Man in High Castle? It's kind of cool, actually. We're just going to leave that. Um, but there's, there's this thing that shows up partway into the first episode, and it's this film that they find. And this film, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, one of those old school, real, like, eight, eight millimeter kind of films. And they throw it on the projector, and it shows the Allies winning the war. So instead of the Nazis winning, it shows this alternate reality where, uh, the reality we all know, where the Nazis didn't win the war, where the Allies won the war instead. And it's crazy what happens because as the people see that, it's like it blows their minds. And it starts to open their eyes and it reinvigorates their hope. And all of a sudden they re-engage with this mission to change the world because they've seen this other reality. You guys tracking? Right, and as I saw that, I was like, this is too good to pass up because it's such a cool metaphor for truth. Like, for me, when I think of missionaries and I think of what the early church thought of when they thought of the, the term, the sent ones, the missionaries, that's a lot more in line with what I think they were thinking about than what we associate when we hear the term missionary. So let's do a cool experiment. When you guys think of the term missionary, what do you see in your heads? What do you think of? Overseas? Overseas? Yep, absolutely. What else? Monks, okay. Yeah, like the movie Silence. Yeah. What else? White savior complex. Oof. I'm philosophical there. I like that one. Good. What, what else? What, what are the things you guys think of? Mormons? Mormons? Bicycles? Black ties? Yeah. Cool. Anybody else? Yeah. Marco? Imperialism? Yeah, we're going to take over and use religion to do it. Joanna? Something that's in the past. Mm, yeah, definitely. It's good. So yeah, when I think of missionaries, for me, one of the things that stands out is uh, growing up as a kid in church, and we used to have this map with all the pins in it. Do you guys have this? And all the corresponding pictures. And those were the missionaries, right? And they were. They were missionaries. But those were like the only missionaries. 
pray for those missionaries. This is our missionary to China. This is our missionary to all these places. And they never told us what the Bible says, that we are all missionaries. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, says this quote. He says, let me get to it. Um, Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Oof. Just let that weight you down there for a second. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And when I hear that, you know, I, I think, well, first of all, I look at our church and there's a lot of us who understand this. A lot of us are living very missional lives and we're very motivated by the gospel. But uh, I don't know about you, but very quickly and subtly, I can notice that my heart starts to go, off, go astray and I start to be motivated by other things besides the gospel. And I start to do mission for all these other reasons. And so when I hear a word like that from Spurgeon, that I'm either a missionary or an imposter, I, I tend to have one of two kind of responses when I'm not being motivated with the gospel. Okay, and the first one is, yeah, I do mission, but if I'm honest, I'm doing it to get something from it instead of doing it out of what I've already been given in the gospel. And I I experienced this when we first moved downtown to plant a church. Um, There was a large portion of my heart that was out there. We were serving the homeless. We We were doing all this mission stuff for God. It was a large portion of my heart that was totally detached from a gospel motivation. And I was just driving myself into the ground, burning out, trying to work my fingers to the bone to prove myself to God, to be a good Christian. Anybody been there before? Yeah. So that's one of the responses that can happen. The other response is we don't do mission, at least on God's terms, because it gets in the way of our missions, of all the missions I have for my life. Like, hear the term missionary, like missionary, when? I don't have time for that. I don't have time for one more thing in my schedule. And listen, I get it. That's our culture. We're exhausted. You talk to people? Like, and I noticed, too, another thing as I ask people about their week. Here's one of the things you hear a lot. Oh, just super busy, man, super tired. I've just been going, going, going. It's almost like a badge of, like, dignity and honor. I am busy. It means I have value, right? I bring something to the table of humanity. And um, we're exhausted. We're busy. We're working so hard to keep up, trying to prioritize our family, trying to get that startup off the ground, trying to buy that house. Push, push, push. And add into that the talk about the mission of God, and it can feel like you're not doing enough. You need to be doing more. You need to add more stuff to your plate. You need to add more to-do lists, more items on your calendar. And we start to ask, how does the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us so quickly devolve into this burdensome list of things we have to do for him? Or are we missing something? Is it, is it possible today that the life Jesus is calling to is also good news in itself? I mean, what if God's mission to you not only motivated your mission for him, but what if his, God's mission for you actually helped you become less busy? What if God's mission for your life actually clarified your priorities and freed you up to live more in alignment with the life you, you long for. 
What if God's mission for you freed you from the burden of the mundane missions that we so often wrap our lives around? What if God's mission was good news, not just for the people we're taking the good news to, but for those of us who are bearing it in our lives? So let's look at this passage, and we're going to ask four questions. We did this at Men's Retreat, and we used to do this a lot more. We used to do dialogue-driven sermons, and we're going to do a dialogue-driven sermon today. And um, here's how this works. When we ask a question, if you respond, the sermon goes really well. And yeah, you get it. If you don't respond, man, this is going to be lonely up here. I'll just tell you that. But uh, four questions as we look at this passage, and I want to I encourage you to open up your Bible, your smartphone to 2 Corinthians 5, because we're just going to hang out in that passage. I'm going to ask four questions, and the four questions are really simple. As we look at this passage, who's God? Who is he? Like, what is his character trait? What are some adjectives that describe him? Okay? And then what has he done for us is the second question. Like, what do we see that God has done for us in the good news of the gospel? And then the third question is, who are we as a result? What's my identity because of who God is and what he's done? Now, I'm this person. And then, how do we live? And while you're turning to that scripture, I just want to point out that that's, that's been the flow of every sermon in this series. And the whole point of this is to remind us that we are not what we do. That the good news of the gospel is that God has character. There's a certain theology that God has revealed himself as. And then he's done certain things for us in the gospel that give us a new identity. And what we do flows out of that. Much of Christianity, what we do is we flip those last two. And we say, I've got to do all these things in order to be. That's not the gospel. The gospel is you are and not because of what you do, but because of what Christ has done. So, quick example of that, and I don't have my whiteboard because the pen didn't work well, but um, quick example of that is God is a continuous outpourer, always outpouring, Father, Son, Spirit, pouring out love. God sends his Son to bring us that love and share that love with us and glorify his Father, and God calls us to be worshipers, and we're all worshiping something. So we're either, as, as Tim said, we've got like a fire hose and we're directing it as worship to God or we're directing it toward his creation and worshiping something else. But no matter what, we are worshiping. That's our identity. Are you tracking? And so discipleship is taking that identity, believing in it, resting in it, and starting to live as if it's true and, and aiming that back at God and glorifying him. So that's the flow of this whole series. Today we're talking about missionary. And let's look at this passage um, if you have it open, what does 2 Corinthians 5 tell us about God and what he's like? And I want you to feel free to just dive right in there. We're doing like big open living room style. As the church grows, I know we're probably going to have fewer and fewer times of this. So I'm just getting it in while we can because I love this, okay? What do we see about what God is like in this passage? It's always awkward with the first one. What's that? Heavenly what? Heavenly dwelling. Mm. Okay. So God dwells in heaven. Yeah, what else? What else do we see about what he's like? God is a good provider. When you think of God, is that what you see? Or does that challenge your view of him? Keep going. What else do you see about God in this passage? He's a builder. Mm. I like that. God the builder. New PBS show. 
What else? What else do we see? Reconciling. God reconciles us through Christ. Don't. I'll just, I'll just pause there. Um, I want you to think about that. God is a missionary. It's where we get our missionary identity from. You guys remember the story uh, in the, the first story, right? Creation in the first three chapters of Genesis. And Adam and Eve believe the lie of the serpent. And they, they've got to choose, right? God says they're created in his image, but the serpent says you will be as gods if you do this stuff. And they've got to choose, and they choose to believe the lie. And they choose to take control of their life on their own terms and kind of say, forget you, God. I don't trust that you're a good father. I don't trust all these things about you. I need to take control. And immediately when they eat the fruit, what do we see they do? They run and hide. And what happens next? God comes looking for them. Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? God comes on a rescue mission for their hearts. That's the heart of God. In fact, the whole of Scripture can be summed up as God on a rescue mission for his people. Think about that. So God's a missionary. Let me ask you this next. What does 2 Corinthians 5 tell us about what God has done for us? Now, there's a ton of this in there. So look it over. What has God done for us in the gospel? (laughs) Yes. What's that? God has given us the Holy Spirit. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. What else? Jesus died for all. We talked about that pretty heavily last week, right? The cup, the cup of wrath that Jesus took on himself to take our place. Yeah. What else? What else do we see God doing? God's at work in this passage. Where do we see it? God has given us his spirit. That's it. That's a, and that's amazing. Like, let's not just gloss over that. Let's think about that for a second. Nobody before the cross was filled with the spirit of God. Abraham, Moses, Noah, you've got something that all of them longed for. Restorations to humanity, the spirit of God dwelling in us. It's amazing. What else? See God doing anything else in there? God has prepared us for this purpose. That's amazing. Think about this. Regardless of what was going on in your life before, God was at work in it to prepare you for a purpose that he's planned for you to do long before. God's reconciled us. God's made us new creations. Our identity comes from him. God, I love this. God made him sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. God is the great conductor of our redemption and reconciliation. It's amazing. And um, one of the ways I like to look at this is, is Jesus uh, basically on earth as a missionary. And there's the bookends that we see in the gospel. For instance, um, if you look at the beginning of John and the end of John, you guys ever look at the bookends of a gospel or the bookends of a book? Sometimes people, they come to my house and they're like, man, you have so many books. Have you read all these? And I say, well, I read the first chapter and the last chapter. And if I like it, then I read the rest, right? <laughs> but let's look at the bookends of John for a second or the bookends of Matthew. In the beginning of John, John 1.14, we've got the scripture. It says, 
the word, that's the logos, the ultimate reality, the truth of who God is, the word was made flesh. And that's that word incarnated. How many of you speak Spanish? My favorite word in Spanish is carne. <laughs> carne asada, right? Which means what? It means meat. It means flesh, right? And this means that, I'm sorry, I lost all of you guys now. You're going to be thinking about food the rest of the sermon. I'll make it quick. Um, he became flesh and he dwelt among us. He, and we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is sent to what? Incarnate. And when we think of incarnate, we think of God putting on flesh. But it's so much more than that. He put on flesh and he came to a people. He came to a culture, he spoke a language, he worked a job, he went to the parties, he ate the food. Jesus lived among us, fully God but fully man. And he lived in such a way that those around him could see and experience what the Father is like. He was an ambassador. He lived this perfectly righteous, heavenly life among us in a different kingdom, right? An ambassador. He was a missionary that came proclaiming the gospel of reconciliation. That's what Jesus did. And ultimately, he incarnated this, this gospel of reconciliation on the cross as he physically reconciled us to God. He became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. What an amazing truth. Now, you fast forward to John 20. And I've got it up here on the screen in case you don't believe me, after the cross, after Jesus is resurrected, this is what he says to his disciples. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me incarnate, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus came, he incarnated the gospel. He sends his followers to do the same thing, to wrap their life around the truth of who God is and what he's done for us in the gospel. We tracking? Cool. Book in number two, really quick. Matthew, the beginning of Matthew in Jesus' ministry is in Matthew 4 when he starts calling his disciples. And he says this. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Just a quick aside. What, what are your nets what are the things that when God called you, you were holding on to? And you had the choice to walk away from him. And part of me wonders, you know, for those of us who are following, whether we're still kind of dragging around our nets, like a toddler with a binky and a, and a security blankie. How many of us have not let go of our lives what are your nets? What are the things you've had a tough time letting go of? What are the lesser missions you've lived for? What lesser missions are weighing you down and holding you back from the amazing mission that God has for your life? See, everyone's living for a mission. All of us, we get up out of bed in the morning for some reason. Otherwise, we just lay there and watch Netflix. Or for one-third of us, Amazon, Right? That's what we would do. We have, right, some of us live for personal achievement. Some of us live to blend in. Others want to stand out. Some of us live for comfort or pleasure. Some of us live for a sense of adventure. We're adrenaline junkies. 
right? So we're surfing and skydiving on to the next thing. Or it's about Jesus. Think about it, though. Something is forming your life. For instance, if that's my mission, if comfort's my mission, that's going to shape everything I do. When you invite me to that party or that concert or that club, I'm going to be like, no, I'm good, man. I'm busy watching Netflix with a bottle of bubbly. That's my party, right? Because comfort is the thing that's shaping my life. Or, or maybe it's a sense of adventure, but something, something is shaping your life. If I think about that, how is the mission of God shaping my life? What would my life look like differently if I wrapped it around God's mission for me? If you want to see what mission is driving somebody's life, just watch their life. Hang out with them. Listen to what they talk about. Watch where they spend their time. Watch where they spend their money. You're going to see what mission is informing and shaping their life. Everyone incarnates their beliefs. And Jesus believed the truth of God fully. He embodied, he was the truth of God fully, and it formed his life into an incarnational mission. Let me ask you, as people look at your life, what, is, what does your life say about your beliefs? What you're living for. Yesterday we got to go out um, to the soccer tournament, the World Cup, and it was so cool for me to see there was nobody preaching sermons out there. I love a good sermon. I love declaring the gospel, but it's another thing to also demonstrate the gospel. And there were just people serving, volunteering, loving these kids and sharing the love of God, putting flesh and blood on what it looks like to live out this missionary identity. It was so encouraging. I hope some of you guys get to make it out today if you didn't yesterday. But um, as, my, as my friend says all the time, live in such a way that causes people to ask why. Why do they live that way? Because they're looking at your life and they're wondering what you believe. On the other side of Matthew's gospel, Jesus sends his followers a scripture we're all familiar with, Matthew 28, 19. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You see that? I will make you fishers of men. It's identity. Now go make disciples. And how does he say? And I, just a quick pause there. Um, the mission of God is that. God's mission is that we would make disciples. Now, I know there's a lot of other stuff involved in that with social justice, caring for the needs around us, loving the unlovable. Those things are all part and parcel of us being discipled. As we wrap our life more and more around the gospel, we start to care about justice. We start to care about being good stewards of the environment God gave us. But all those things are expressions of our discipleship and caring about what God cares about, right? But the mission that God gave us is very simple. He says what? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And imagine, as we have more and more and more people wrapping their lives around the gospel, starting to care about the things God cares about, we will start to care about the environment more. We will start to work for social justice more. But the point isn't that we all go out and just pick up litter on our day off. That is great. It's not bad. But the point is that we would make disciples who pick up litter on their day off. <laughs> and he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's, that's identity language. That's, you've been given the family identity. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Have you wrapped your life around the gospel so much, in such a way that when people see you, they see the gospel on display? 
And could you explain to somebody, could you give them a reason why you believe what you believe? Could you teach them and instruct them in the ways of Jesus? That's what it means to make a disciple. Now, just as he was sent, we're the sent ones, and the gospel reprioritizes our life and gives us new identity. So let's look back at this passage. Third point, identity. What, now, this passage is loaded with identity, so I want to hear some popcorn firing off. When you look at 2 Corinthians 5, what do you see is our new identity because of who God is and what he's done? There's some identity language in here. What do you guys see? Fully known. Wow. Can you, can you imagine that? God knows you fully as you are, and he still loves you. That's crazy. That, that's hard to believe sometimes when I look in the mirror. Yeah. What else? What else do we see? That was lovely. I just don't know what you said. We're always of good courage. The gospel frees us to be brave. You know? Sarah Bariella said it right. I want to see you be brave. Well, the gospel frees you to do that. Thank you, Sarah. Yes. She's saying that, right? Okay, cool. What else? What else do we see? We're new. New creations. Look, just how much of your life is being defined by your past? Your guilt, your shame, the things that you wish you'd never done, the things you wish had never been done to you. You feel almost doomed to repeat the same mistakes. The gospel says you are a new creation in Christ. And the wrestling that happens every day for our soul is who are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the truth of what God says about us in the gospel? Or are we going to believe the lie of the serpent? I mean, and the truth of the matter is, you are a new creation. And the more you believe it, you're going to be freed to live like it. Yeah? What else? What else do we see? Yeah, it says we're, we're ministers of reconciliation. So God came through Jesus with a message of reconciliation, transformed us into ambassadors of, oh, I just gave one away, ambassadors. Uh, it says ambassadors in there. I love that. Who are sharing the message of reconciliation. Let's talk about ambassadors for a second. What do you think of when you think of an ambassador? Representative? What else? Ambassadors in charge, right? They're running a... Visiting another country, right? And taking... They're basically acting as commerce. They're embodying commerce between these two kingdoms, right? So yeah, they're, they're going to this new country. They're communicating. They've got to learn the new language. They've got to eat the right food, but they also kind of bring their culture with them. They start to share that stuff. Ambassador is a great analogy for the missionary life. Yeah. Anything else, Austin? You had your hand up? Oh, uh, verse 14 says that like, what's driving us is the love of Jesus. Like, mm. We are loved by God. He says the love of God compels us. What is compelling your life? Is it the love of, is it how loved you've been in the gospel? Or is it something else? Something less? Cash. Mm. Yeah, we're friends of God. We've been brought into the family. Yeah. Anybody else? Confident. We're confident. I'm going to talk about that. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> what would it be like to live with no fear? If, if we're already, Jesus said, like, we've all died in him, right? And now we've been given new life. So what would it be like to not be afraid of death? And he even says, and he rose again, which is pointing to what? One day we are too. What would, you, how, what would you have done differently last week if you weren't afraid? Think about it. How much does fear inform and control your life? And these identities, they're, they're for you. They're good news for your life, but they're not just for you. They, they all have personal benefit, but they don't end at personal benefit because what God does to you, he plans to do through you. Amen? God has given you these identities, not just for your own benefit, but for the life of the world. In other words, your salvation is not just for you. And there's so many examples of this in Scripture. When God calls Abraham to be his people, to be his missionary people in the world, you guys remember the Abrahamic covenant? He says, I will make your name great, and I will bless you so that you will be a blessing, so that all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. God bless you. That's, I mean, that's, that's crazy. God didn't just bless Abraham for himself. He didn't just call Abraham for his own benefit. He called him for what? For the world. It's the same with the church. We're God's people, and we've been blessed and given all this stuff. But I think one of the things that happens, and I'm just riffing right now, um, we live in America, right? Most of us. And America. And the thing about America is that we are rooted in an individualistic culture. So when we experience faith, for many of us, we experience it even at first through a very individualistic lens, right? We come to Christ, a lot of us, through radical self-interest. I mean, think about it. Uh, for me, at least, when I was a kid in children's church and I heard about the Antichrist, I was like, okay, eternal cost-benefit analysis. <laughs> well, I didn't say it. <laughs> Six years old. Um... But it was this whole thing of like, okay, streets of gold, flames of fire. What? Well, I'll take option A. Thank you. <laughs> and so a lot of us, we get saved for radical self-interest. And then we start realizing the bait and switch, right? And you need to be part of a church, preferably part of a small group if you're really committed. And you know what? If you have some time, we'd really like you to give to the missions fund, maybe even go on a missions trip. And you're like, oh. Because so many of us have been saved because of what we get from it. But the gospel kind of flips that. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, what's it say? It says, God was in Christ, verse 19, reconciling the world to himself. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that God loved the world. God comes with saving love for the world. He gives the world his son. And he gives the world his people filled with his spirit and he sends us into the world as a people on mission. It's not so much that you invited Jesus into your heart as it is God invited you into his mission in the world. We have it flipped and we make it all about us if we're not careful. You guys see the difference there? Big difference. You were saved for a purpose bigger than you. You were saved for a mission larger than the lesser missions you once lived for. Are you ready to drop the nets that you're holding on to and follow? 
The more you experience this new creation identity in the gospel life, the more you'll be free from the lesser missions that have limited your life. Last, last question. How does this truth of 2 Corinthians 5 free us to live? We've talked about who God is. We've talked about what he's done. We've talked about who we are now. How does it free us to live? What are some of the things it tells us to do in this passage? Sounds like two people were saying the same thing. I love it. Go ahead, Dale. No longer live for ourselves. We live for Christ who loved us and died for us. Live without fear. Wow. And I, I, dude, I sell this stuff. It doesn't, I, sometimes I get convicted that I need to get high on my own supply. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, feel like, I feel like there's so much of my life, if I'm not careful, that's bound by fear. If I'm really honest, if I really look deep within, and First John says there's no fear in love, perfect love casts out fear. Everything in your life is motivated by one of those two. What would you live like if you had no fear, if you really believed that this was true? How would that, how would that free you? Let's keep going. What else do we see again? Yeah. The last two verses, that Christ made us right because Jesus, mm. That's it. That's it. That's life. That's life. Repenting and believing. And repenting and believing gets like this negative kind of tone to it, but repenting is the best news ever. You get to turn away from the lie that is killing you, and you get to turn to the truth that will set you free. That's the best news ever. Why wouldn't we share that with people? But we, we struggle with that, don't we? We struggle with that. I want to ask you a question. If you were a missionary and your family and maybe a few close friends, you moved to a foreign country and you had your money raised and you were going to go and plant a gospel work and you're going to get out there and maybe plant a church, make disciples, uh, what would you do? What, what would your daily rhythms look like? What would you start doing immediately in this foreign country that you've never been to? What are some of the things? Yeah, you'd meet people. It's kind of important. Yeah. What else? Learn the language. Yeah. Also important. And everybody knows the first two things you learn. Donde están los baños? And something about comida. Right? Carne asada. <laughs> Full circle. All right. <laughs> what else? What else would you do if you... What's that? Pray. Come on now. You would pray. What else? You might start to dress like them. You might try to get into culture a little bit where appropriate. Might be more intentional with how you plan your calendar, your day. That's so good. Instead of just like throwing stuff in there to be busy, which none of you do, and I never have done, but what else? What else would you do? Hang out with people. Maybe start shopping at the same shops and eating at the same restaurants and get to know people. Find some ways to bless them and serve them. Yeah. Discover what the needs are and then find ways to That's so good. And here's, here's the deal. We, we, we find those needs and we try to meet them with the gospel. Here's the deal I found. And 
to be honest with you here, living for more than 10 years as a little localized missionary in downtown, I found one thing to be very true. People are people. It's real, whether you're a missionary in Zimbabwe or whether you're a missionary in downtown San Diego, people are people. They have the same questions. They have the same needs, the same struggles. We make it, make it really hard on ourselves. But here's the difference I found in America. Two, two things constantly pulling at me. My past experience of going to church instead of being the church. That this is all about an event or a building. Right? And secondly, my lack of faith that the gospel is actually good news for everyone and everything. And that holds my heart back. It's my own unbelief. My tendency is to revert back and make everything about an event or a weekly meeting or teaching time as if somehow if we could just say the right thing the right way, finally the dime would drop and somebody would get it. They'd have that aha moment and I would have made a disciple, right? If that was truly the case, why didn't Jesus just broadcast some good news really loudly from the sky, right? So that everyone on the planet could hear. This is the good news, right? He didn't do that. Because the good news isn't a series of propositions or truths or, or logic. The good news is a person. Jesus came to show the world what God, his Father, was truly like. He came as a missionary, and that's why we go. Whether it's across the world or whether it's just across the street. We go because we take this call to make disciples, to go and make disciples seriously. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. He didn't just say, ask people to come and see. He told us to go like he did, to live as he did, to incarnate his gospel to our neighborhoods and our gyms and our schools. And we tracking? Yeah. Showing the world what he's like, demonstrating and declaring the gospel with our lives. And when you do that, incredible things open up. I remember um, me and Tyson and Ian had a DNA, one of the early renditions of a DNA. We were meeting at Cafe Lulu in downtown, which amazingly is still there. One of the few businesses, people love their hookah, man. And we were hanging out there, and uh, Tyson had, had come back to faith at, at uh, the church that we were planning at the time. And uh, there was a girl there named Cynthia, and she had a scowl on her face. And so I was terrified of her. I would just be like, Coles, please. I want to bother you, but, you know, extra tip. Be nice. Um, Tyson, didn't, Tyson didn't care. He just like got to know her and invited her right into community. And she lit up like a Christmas tree, man. She came over. She loved our community. She showed up on a Sunday, brought this guy named Kenny. Uh, uh, Kenny K. And many of you guys don't know, Kenny K was in a... Aha uh -huh moment. Kenny K was in a death metal band before. Yeah, you got to ask him about stories sometime. It's an amazing story. It's one of those stories where you just, like, say that again? What happened? It's crazy. And God, like, moved on his heart and transformed his life. And Kenny became one of our closest friends, became a leader in the church. And then a few years later, he married a lovely girl named Ashley, and they're here in our church. And then a few years later, his dad, who had been estranged, Scott, decided he wanted to hang out with Kenny, started coming to church because that's the connection point. And all of a sudden, here's Scott and me hanging out in Coronado on Mondays, reading through the reason for God together, talking about it. He'd never been a believer, retired airline pilot. Just a, a, over a year ago, we got to baptize Scott right there in Coronado at one of his places he used to hang out. This, 
What I'm saying is this isn't hard. It's really normal everyday stuff. I remember Kenny and I hanging out at a party at my apartment complex and a drunk guy wandered in who his friend is like, he's trying to kill himself. Can you guys help him? And so we, <laughs> we go over on the lawn chair and we started talking to him and he melts into a puddle of his own tears and we got to lead him to Christ right there in the courtyard. Drunk and suicidal no more. Well, he's still a little drunk. Suicidal no more. We used to do this Bible study at Princess Pub in Little Italy. And I remember I'd walk in with my box of Bibles. And you knew it was a box of Bibles because it said Bibles on the cardboard box. <laughs> and so I would always get hit up. Like people are like, are those Bibles? And one night, this, I got there early, you know, and I'm sitting there and this guy wanders over and he's like, are those Bibles? I'm like, they sure are, man. And he goes, that's weird. And he just walked away. And I was like, well, thought that was a mission opportunity, right? And there goes that. So I sat there, and uh, the guy next to me said, you guys doing a Bible study or something? I said, yeah, we are actually. And he said, huh, tell me, tell me about your church. Well, come to find out, this guy's a JetBlue airline pilot, just in, from South Carolina, grew up in the church, ran away from the legalism and the moralism. And... Uh, he, he said, yeah, man, I've been a Christian a long time, but, you know, I, I kind of stopped believing. So I invited him. I was like, well, dude, bring your beer on over, man. We're going to have a Bible study. He's like, oh, we'll see if we get over there. Well, like 10 minutes into the Bible study, here he comes. He's sitting across the table from me at the end of the table, kind of long ways, like Beauty and the Beast, you know. <laughs> but not as romantic. And, um, sorry. Taking the wind right out of the story. And uh, he... All of a sudden, I look over, and I see tears just rolling down his face. And he's wiping, he's trying not to cry, trying to hold it back, you know. And God's moving on his heart. And the end of that night, God called him back to himself. Some guy from South Carolina who, uh, after MySpace, I never really saw again. And, but, but God did a work in his heart. Why? Because we hung out in a bar. It's just normal, everyday stuff, guys. It's not a bunch of additional things you need to add to your life. It's just being more intentional with the time you have and owning this missionary identity. See, an identity is not something you turn off and on, right? It's who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and it sounds like people are like, whoa, wait, wait. So how often do I need to do missions? Like two hours, three hours a week? No, all of it. You're always a missionary, and that sounds crushing until you realize, you know, it's just who you are, and you're not adding a bunch of new stuff into your life. You're just being more intentional, and you're following the Holy Spirit. Remember, God's the one who makes disciples. We can't do it. It's, it's his burden. The burden of mission is God's. The, the blessing of missions is ours. We just get to participate in it. Tom? Wow. I'm going to say that for the recording. Not being who you are. There's a lot more slavery and work than just being who you are. And the, what's, what holds us back? The lies? Striving for our mission to try to find life somewhere out there by doing instead of receiving the life that's ours by grace in Christ. And just living out it, just trusting that, believing that. Stepping out in faith.
I don't need to go into all this. Let's, I think that's good. Let, let me just wrap it with this, this thought. Um, the last quote on the slide. That this is the most freeing reality. Only, only seeing God's mission for you in the gospel. Seeing how he loved you, how he served you, how he gave his all to have you for himself. When you see how God came on mission for you and loved you, and what it cost him to have you, that'll melt your heart and free you from all those lesser missions, from all the nets you're still dragging around. Let go. Trust. Let the mission of God become the thing that organizes your schedule. Let it become the thing that helps you make decisions. Like, why are you slaving away at that job? Just, just for money? If there was no fear, is that the job you would do for the glory of God? Is that the mission field he called you to? Why do you live in that place, in that neighborhood? Are we tracking? I'm not saying quit your job because you can just as easily re-engage with the mission because of it. But do you have the clarity? Do you know that this is what God is calling you to? The sovereign God of the universe wants to partner with you to lead people to himself, to free them from the bondage. Has the gospel freed your heart? Only the gospel, only seeing God's mission for you in the gospel will free your heart from the lesser missions you've lived for and free you to fully engage with his calling in your life. As we close, um, we're gonna take a time to respond. And um, we're just gonna sing along with some songs. We're gonna take communion. And over communion, what we like to do here is if you're a believer, communion's a time of remembering. Jesus said, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. And so we, we remember that the bread represents the perfectly righteous life that Jesus lived for you every day in his flesh. He was the perfect missionary, perfectly incarnated for every time that I don't. For every time that I screw up and I miss that opportunity, Jesus fulfilled the righteous call of God for me. Now, as it says in this verse we just read, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. And that blood he spilled out, this grape juice over here represents, you're forgiven, you're pardoned, your past is washed away. Behold, look, everything is new. Jesus is the first fruits of the new creation and you are right there. You are following his steps. You are a new creation in Christ. Can you own that today? As you, as you take the, the bread and the cup, can you remember the gospel and declare it to and, and for those of you who need prayer over this, you say, man, I'm really convicted. I'm not living in light of this. I'm feeling burdened. I'm, I, I'm too busy. Or for whatever thing you need prayer for, we're gonna have the prayer team down here in the front. We wanna pray for you. We wanna send you off with a blessing. We wanna remind you of the good news of Jesus. And so just feel free to hang back, sing along. If you're new here, you can go get prayer. If you're a believer, come take communion. We'd love for you too. It's kind of a family thing, but we'd love for you, even if it's your first time believing the gospel today, come up and take communion. And um, I'm gonna say a prayer over us as the musicians come. Father, thank you that you were not content to let us wander around in the dark. Thank you that you are a missionary God who came for us while we were running as hard and fast away from you as we could 
your grace sweeped down and you wrapped us up in your arms of grace and called us your own and adopted us and called us by name and gave us a new identity. Thank you. Thank you for the work of your son. That he'd be willing to become my sin. The stuff I'm ashamed of, the stuff I don't like looking back and even thinking about, he became that for me so that I could look in the mirror and see your righteousness when I look at myself. That's crazy. It's that subversive alternate reality that I'm struggling to believe, just like that that TV show. I'm struggling to believe that things are as you say they are, that the film reel of the gospel is true. I pray you'd give us faith for that. I pray you'd give us faith to see ourselves as you see us. And that this wouldn't be a burdensome message today about a bunch of doing, that we need to go do, do, do all these things in order to be, but that we'd be able to rest. As David said earlier, we could come to the table and remember we're your people, we're your missionaries called by your name, and that that's the most freeing reality. That it's not a bunch more stuff to add to our schedule, but that it's the freedom we long for. Help us to believe that today and to start to live out of it, to go out there, out these doors later on today in just a few moments. And as we do, to see a world where people don't even realize the good news. They're living as if the Nazis won. They're living in this alternate broken reality and they don't even know. Even some Christians and friends of ours don't know the good news and they're living as if this world is all there is. Help us, send us on mission to pray for them, to speak the truth over them, to see the Holy Spirit bring scales off their eyes so they finally see the truth. In Jesus' name, we submit all this to you and we do this all for your glory. In your name, amen.